Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional medicine nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. And that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast. All things health, food, and nutrition. Unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. What up, my people? Today, we're going to talk about a topic that comes up quite a bit in LQs, listener questions, but also something that I see all the time over the the past... uh, quite a few years of clinical practice, and that's chronic constipation. Lots of folks struggling with constipation, whether they know it or not. So we're going to go all in on the, the subject, constipation, the gut, and we're going to talk a little bit about melatonin too. So you'll have to stay tuned to figure out what the connection is. Cliffhanger. Before we go into all of that, I want to say you guys are the freaking best. So I've had four different people that I've interviewed on the show with like a pretty big audience um, tell me that after doing the Functional Nutrition Podcast, they've got the biggest outpouring of feedback and new follows than doing any other podcast, which just tells me that you guys are awesome. Like you're just the coolest people. Um, so thank you for that, for like really embracing the people that come onto the show. We had Aaron Telford on last week to talk about breath work. Now, obviously I'm a huge Aaron Telford fangirl. Um, that's why I had her on the show. But I was like a little bit apprehensive because I'm like, you know, this doesn't really fit under the umbrella of nutrition, but I thought it was so so important and such a cool conversation to bring to the table. So I'm really, really glad that um, you guys felt the same and that you just showered her with love. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I think health um, goes way beyond what we're putting in our mouth. It's not just broccoli and buying organic. Uh, It's a lot of other stuff, emotional body, life experiences, all of that. So I'm glad you guys are vibing with um, branching out a little bit. There's going to be more of that to come. So I'm excited about that. And I do want to shout out, I'm not going to call her out by name, but I want to shout out somebody that's in my current round of your hormone revival, because it's just really cool and worth mentioning. I'm not going to read everything that she wrote in her post, but I'll give you some highlights. Uh, she had some fun updates for me. So we're in month three, we're closing it out in a couple of weeks. And um, so far, this is what she's experienced. The hyperpigmentation on her face, especially the upper lip is gone. She goes, canceled dermaplaning appointment right now. Um, Her bowels are regular and happy, which has not happened in almost a decade, 10 years of dissatisfied bowels. Her sleep is better. 
uh, much better than when she started the program. She's shut the emotional stress bathtub faucet down to a trickle. Amazing. And she reports that her libido might be reporting for duty again. So things are looking good. Uh, she said, thank you for all the amazing work you put into this program. It's changing my life. And she's she goes on to say that all of the symptoms she was experiencing, she thought it was like, oh, I'm just 37. I guess this is the way life goes. Nope. Um, and she even quoted Lizzo about feeling good as hell. So all of those things made me really, really happy. And I want to bring it up here because we're going to talk about digestion today. And you might think like, what the hell does hormones and digestion have to do with each other? Because this is clearly a hormone program, but she's experiencing having a lot better uh, bowel habits. It is a hormone program. Your hormone revival is totally adrenal thyroid hormone program, but we're addressing the entire body from top to tail. And something to understand if you are experiencing hormone imbalance, hormones are rarely the primary issue. Sometimes they are, but usually not. Usually hormones are responding to something else going on in the body. So to get true hormone health, to heal your hormones, to fix your hormones, you usually have to take a very holistic approach. You have to look at the whole body. You have to look at the whole system and say, where's the dysfunction, right? And that is what needs to be addressed. It's not so much going in with a hormone and trying to fix things. And so this is one of the main reasons that I developed the program in the first place, because I was, I was tired of watching way too many women feel frustrated watch women cry, watch women just beside themselves because they weren't getting any direction. I read a recent stat that it can take two years in three health professionals before a woman is diagnosed with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And after receiving their diagnosis, only 16% were satisfied with the information they received. I, I just think this is maddening. You know, it's like pull your hair out crazy style. Um, I don't, want f female hormones to feel like this big, scary question mark. We all have them, right? We all have them. And so I think healthcare professionals have to stop acting like we don't. And for that matter, coaches and trainers and anyone that puts themselves in a position of power needs to stop pretending that our female hormones are different than a man's. Um, I don't know if you've read this yet. Obviously I'm getting fired up, um, but the New York Times opinion piece um, I was the fastest girl in America until I joined Nike. I mean, holy smokes, if you haven't watched that yet, Google it right now. Go, I mean, not right now. Wait till the podcast is over. Then go Google it and watch it. It's going to fire you up too. It's bullshit. To be honest, it's, it's totally BS. Um, but we're not taking into account female bodies. We're not taking into account hormones and how they work and how they operate. And most of us don't really understand them. Like we don't, we didn't, we were never handed a guidebook to our female bodies, right? But we can't just opt out of our hormones. We, we just need the tools to better understand them. And I personally wasn't satisfied with waiting around for modest, modern medicine to teach me about my body. And I'm, I'm sure that you aren't either. Uh, personally, I want to understand my body inside and out. I want to understand what's going on and why, how I can assist myself. And I want that for you too. So I created this 
program. So there's no more frantic, like Googling, like what your symptoms are. There's no more trying to web MD yourself because you're not getting answers anywhere else. Um, so this entire program, your hormone revival, it's like having a podcast every week, little mini podcast every week, but it's information that's carefully curated to exactly what you need to know. Uh, plus tools to implement the new knowledge that you're gaining. Um, so I'm obsessed with the program. I love it. I think it's awesome. I'm getting so much positive feedback from women who are in the pr program. Um, it's not a program to address digestive dysfunction. Like that's not the name of the game. But in going through the program, you absolutely can address digestive dysfunction, if that makes any sense. Um, so I'm going to run the next round, February 2020. Can you freaking believe it? It's like, I feel like we're in the future. So February, I'm going to run the next round. Get yourself on the waiting list. I will throw the link into my show notes. Um, I'm going to offer a deep early bird discount to the waiting list only. That's where I'm going to open up registration first. Um, and of course, I'll announce it as we get closer to February. But I can only take on a limited number of participants because I'm analyzing your labs and there's you've got some one-on-one -on -one stuff with me. So I, I don't want to... I got to keep, I got to cap it at a certain uh, amount. The last round sold out in five days. So um, just a heads up, if you're really interested in this program, get yourself on the wait list and um, we'll start in February after the holiday kookiness. Okay. So with that said, let's dive into constipation. I just had a client just this week tell me um, she had been constipated for years and years and years. And she's like, but I didn't know, like, I didn't even know that I was constipated. I just thought that that was normal. So let's talk about what constipation is. Let's define it so you can assess for yourself, am I constipated or not? So ideal bowel habits are anywhere between one to three bowel movements a day. So if you're going less than one day or once per day, that is constipation and they should be painless. So it shouldn't come with pain or discomfort when you pass, when you pass your poop going to be talking a lot about poop today. Get ready. Um, and they should feel complete. So when you go to the bathroom, it shouldn't be like, oh, I feel like there's more left that to come out, but it's not coming out. So complete bowel movements. It, they should be normal on the Bristol stool chart. So if you've never heard of the Bristol stool chart, if you've never seen it, go ahead and Google it for yourself. It it shows you what poop's supposed to look like. And you want to be like between a three and a four on the Bristol stool chart. Um, if your stool is drier than that, it's constipation. So if you're, um, pooping out like little round pellets, almost like rabbit pellets, that is totally constipation. If you're, if you're, if it's hard to pass, if it's painful to pass, if, um, it's very dry, that's all indications of constipation. And constipation is a problem for a number of different reasons one thing is that your large intestine, so food moves from your mouth, down your esophagus, into the stomach, into the small intestine, and then into the large intestine in the colon. And our bodies are kind of stingy. They want to gobble up every resource that they can. So when your food, when your waste is sitting in the large intestine, our bodies reabsorb any water that's left over. If it sits in the colon for too long, if your transit time is too long, 
if food is moving through your GI tract too slowly, you can, while you're reabsorbing water, you can also reabsorb toxins like waste products that are meant for excretion. You can reabsorb that back into circulation. Um, I was at one of the lectures I was at for whatever, I don't know, I'm always at lectures. Um, a, uh, one of the doctors said, we have to take toxins all the way to the toilet. He said that several times over and I'm like, oh, that's a really good way to think about it because sure, we need to, we need to, um, we need to have optimal liver function. We've talked about that a bunch on the show in order to support detoxification, but we also have to, we, that, that helps us get the toxins into the colon, right? Pulls it into the, the small, the large intestine, but then we actually have to poop out the toxins. So constipation mucks that up. And this is also tied into hormonal health because our bodies handle toxins in a very, or excuse me, handle hormones in a very similar way that we handle toxins, meaning that they have to go through phase one and phase two liver detoxification and they have to come into the large intestine via bile and they have to be excreted from the body. Uh, let's use estrogen as an example because estrogen dominance is very, very common, uh, meaning we have too much estrogen or an imbalance of estrogen to progesterone. So estrogen has to go through phase one detoxification in the liver, and then it has to go through phase two detoxification also in the liver. That's where methylation comes into play. From there, it needs to go into the large intestine and go into our bowel and here we have something called the astrobilome, which are gut bacteria that can metabolize estrogen. And they really modulate the enterohepatic circulation of estrogen, which means entero is your gut, hepatic is liver. Um, it can affect whether we poop out estrogen or whether it goes back into circulation. So bacteria that live in our gut can produce an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. And if these levels are high, what beta-glucuronidase does is takes the estrogen that we've packaged it up. We have to package up estrogen to get it ready to be pooped out and it unpackages it. So it's almost like a present taking off the bow, opening the lid and, and whatever's inside the box, taking it out out of the box. And once it's out of the box, it can go right back into circulation, increasing the estrogen that's cruising around in our body. Okay. So we need proper gut function and we need proper motility. We need proper transit time um, in order to metabolize our estrogen and other hormones. So constipation is a pretty big deal for a number of different reasons. So let's start with the basics, right? I want to, um, I want to dive into all things poop and constipation. I want to give some common reasons for constipation and also things that you can do to help yourself. Starting with the basics, drink enough water, eat enough fiber, eat enough veggies, move your body regularly and manage your stress. Okay. So that would be like the top four things that you have to do. And this is generally where doctor's recommendations in your Google searches net out, right? Okay. Um, all of this is sage advice. Like all, you have to be doing all of those things. So if you're not doing them, do them. They're effective. They're necessary. But a lot of people 
that come to me are doing all of these things religiously and they're still constipated, right? So they're eating a super healthy diet. They're adequately hydrated. They're working out all the time. Um, the stress piece, I'd argue that maybe not, but they're doing all the right things. They're taking the fibers, they're eating the veggies, blah, 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 but they're still constipated. Okay. So we're going to explore some further reasons for chronic constipation if you're struggling with them, but don't forget the basics, right? Eat the, drink the water, eat the fibers, the veggies, move your body, manage your stress. So let's look at underlying causes of constipation. Dehydration is a major driver. We need to drink enough water. And how much water do we drink? I, honestly, everything, all the recommendations that are out there are kind of arbitrary. The one that I generally lean towards just because people need some type of structure, they need some type of guidance, is whatever your body weight is in pounds, divide that by two that's how many ounces of water to drink every day. So if you weigh 150 pounds, it's 75 ounces of water every day. And again, that is not an exact science. If you exercise and you sweat more frequently, you need to increase that amount. If you drink a lot of caffeine or other diuretics, you would also want to increase that amount. Um, but for the most part, that's a pretty decent place to start. If you eat a ton of fresh food, like if your if your diet centers around meats, fruits, and veggies, you're getting a lot of hydration through the foods that you eat. The problem with modern day diet is that so much of the food that we eat is essentially dehydrated. We've sucked the water out. It's processed and packaged refined food. You know, think about crackers and chips and, and breads and um, other type of products like that, there's not much water in those foods. But if you're eating food from the earth, fruits, veggies, animal proteins, beans, you know, legumes, like they all have water in them. So I think it really depends. Your water needs, your hydration needs really depend on your diet. Um, and how many whole foods you're eating because whole foods are going to be richer in water. Um, other underlying causes of constipation would be a poor diet. So just eating the modern American, standard American diet can certainly cause constipation. If you have food sensitivities that you're unaware of, that can lead to constipation. Stay tuned because I'm going to um, really dive deep in some upcoming episodes about food sensitivities and testing for food sensitivities. So I promise that is coming your way. You just got to sit tight for a couple of weeks and you'll get that information. Um, insufficient dietary fiber. This, I, so I've struggled with constipation my entire life since I was a little, little kid. I mean, baby, my mom used to have to give me suppositories when I was a baby. So this has been going on for 35 years. Um, but every time I would bring it up to uh, one of my doctors or even a gastroenterologist, they'd be like, so are you eating enough fiber? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got the fiber on lock. I'm good with fiber. Do you have any other options for me? <laughs> so I don't want to sound 
I don't, you know, I don't want to drive you crazy if you're like tuning in to like get some pro tips on constipation. <laughs> I don't want to make you crazy by telling you to eat more fiber, but let's unpack the different types of fiber because some fibers might be better for you than other fibers. We have soluble, fi soluble fiber. I'm really struggling to get that word off, off my tongue. Uh, insoluble fiber and prebiotic fiber. So we have different types of fiber. So you might want to tinker around with what types of fiber that you're consuming. Soluble fiber attracts water and turns into sort of a gel during digestion. So it pulls water in towards the stool. It helps to bulk up the stool and it's generally more gentle than insoluble fiber. Okay. Insoluble fiber does not absorb or dissolve in water. It passes through our digestive tract pretty close to its original form. It acts like a brush. I mean, this is like way back to Nutrition 101. I'm like visualizing myself sitting in the exact classroom where I learned about insoluble fiber. It's really weird, right? I'm having kind of a trippy moment. But it acts like a brush. So it kind of like rakes through the di digestive tract, which can be great, right? Because it's like pulling stuff out. But it could be too aggressive and just too harsh for those folks with an already inflamed GI tract. So if you already have inflamed tissue in your digestive system, this could be a little bit too aggravating um, and can sometimes make constipation worse. So that's something to think about. That's pretty telling. If you if you're like, okay, the more fiber I eat, the worse my constipation gets, that's a good sign that you need to do a little bit of investigative um, and get investigative work with your with your uh, gut health. But um, the way that I think about it, because soluble fiber and insoluble fiber can come packaged up in the very same food. So it's not so much a eat this, don't eat, you know, eat this versus don't eat this list. Um, the way that I think about it is that insoluble fiber, if you think about a potato or a sweet potato, insoluble fiber is like the skin of the potato. Soluble fiber is the inside of the potato. It's like the softer, mushier stuff, whereas the outside is a little bit harsher, right? A little bit um, grittier, I guess. So you can pay attention to what type of fibers that you're eating. And then we also have prebiotic fiber, which I've talked about a bunch on the show before. These types of fibers are resistant to digestion. So we don't break them down in our small intestine. They reach all the way to the colon and then they're fermented by gut bacteria in the colon. Um, it completely resists being broken down by the acidity in our stomach, um, resists the absorption, and then it's fermented once it gets to the lower gut. And they help to feed and stimulate the growth and the activity of our good gut bugs. So this is why um, it's really important um, to consume prebiotics if you can tolerate them because they're feeding the happy critters in your gut. Um, we, we always wanna take probiotics to do that and it's really more about feeding the good bacteria. So different types of prebiotic fibers would include inulin, oligosaccharides, resistant starch, um, galacto-oligosaccharides or GOS, 
acacia gum, psyllium husk, partially hydrolyzed guar gum. That's one of my favorites. Um, it's also sometimes known as PHGG, sometimes how you'll see it written. So all of those are known as prebiotic fibers. And so those can be um, really helpful for constipation. Ideally, you want to get your fiber from whole foods. In an ideal world, you'd get most of your fiber from fruits, from veggies, from grains, if you could tolerate them, from legumes, um, if you can tolerate those. But some people might benefit from soluble fiber supplementation, um, especially for those of us with gut dysbiosis um, or just issues in the gut. Um, so consider doing some fiber supplementation if you can tolerate it. Um, Designs for Health makes one called Paleo Fiber that's pretty great. I like Sun Fiber that's just partially hydrogelized guar gum. There are lots and lots of different types of fiber and you sometimes have to kind of tinker around to figure out what works the best for you. I think that that's a frustrating thing to hear sometimes, but our bodies are so individual and they respond so different differently. Um, so that would be something, something, to, something to think about. Now, for those of you guys with SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, prebiotic fibers can cause more symptoms, especially supplementing with them. So you just want to proceed with caution. If you notice that you're supplementing with fibers and you're, you're creating more GI symptoms, um, you want to slow down, you want to address the dysbiosis, and then try later on to implement those fibers. Okay, moving on. Um, another trigger for constipation is a low-carb diet. One of the reasons is that carbohydrates, carbhydrate, carbohydrates, pull, help to pull water into the stool. So carbohydrates hold onto water. So when you're um, pulling out the carbohydrates from your diet, you're holding onto less water. This is why some people drop weight really quickly on a low carb diet, right? They're not holding onto as much water. They're dumping some fluid. Um, low carb diets can also be lower in fibers, especially in soluble fibers, because a lot of those solu soluble fibers we're getting from grains, we're getting from uh, roots and tubers like the potatoes and the starches, right? That Those are rich in soluble fiber. And so if we're removing those, then we're pulling less water into the stool. We're bulking up our stool less. It makes it harder to pass. Dry stools are harder to pass and they sit in the colon for a little bit longer. So if you notice that you have a, a constipation on your low carb diet, you just might need more carbohydrates. If you need to be on a low carb diet for health or medical reasons, um, you can try to implement some of the other things we're gonna talk about. Uh, magnesium is a good one, um, or doing some of those prebiotic fibers that we're gonna talk about, or that I just talked about, okay? Another big cause of constipation is a sedentary lifestyle. Our bodies need to move. And I know that you know that. Right. I'm and it's just so hard to give our bodies the movement that it needs in modern day. I am, you know, sitting down in a chair recording this podcast. I am not um, 
I'm not immune to the sedentary world that we live in, right? So we have to make it our mission to move our bodies regularly. Grace Liu, who is somebody that I deeply respect in the world of microbiome medicine, one of her suggestions for those with SIBO, recurring SIBO and motility issues is to get in 10,000 steps a day. And this number, it's not an arbitrary number. It comes from um, hunter-gatherers, right, our ancestors who walked around a lot for the, uh, you know, for survival, for food, all of it. And so our bodies crave that stimulus. Um, so walking four to five miles a day is a phenomenal way to help to reset the pace of your GI tract. So that's something to consider, but really any movement is going to be helpful here. Um, another big trigger for constipation is being in sympathetic dominant sympathetic overdrive. Our nervous system has two main arms. We have the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. The sympathetic is our stress response. The parasympathetic is our rest and relaxation response. It's also called rest and digest. And it's called this because we need to be in a relaxed state in order to appropriately digest our food. Stress can throw off transit time. So transit time, I've said that word a bunch, um, or that, that term a bunch, it's how quickly or slowly things move through your GI tract. Your GI tract is one long tube, it starts at the mouth, it ends at the anus. How quickly things are passing through that. And so stress can speed that up, right? If you're nervous, sometimes you get the rumbly dumps. Mm-hmm, yep. I always make the joke, I was so freaking nervous about public speaking when I first started teaching yoga. I mean, teaching yoga class, you're getting up in front of a room from a, a room front, getting up in front of a room full of people. Gosh, that was hard for me to spit out. And, you know, it's like this, this big, long speech that you're giving. It's so nerve wracking. So I would get like, super rumble dumps before every single yoga class for like the first year that I taught. <laughs> it's so messed up when I look back on how stressed out I got about teaching yoga. I wouldn't sleep the night before. Oh God, it was a, it was a disaster. Um, but Hey, you gotta pay your dues, right? So anyway, stress can speed up transit time, but over time, it can actually slow down transit time, leading to chronic constipation. So if you've got this chronic stress, um, it can lead to constipation that way. Chronic stress can also affect stomach acid. We need stomach acid to, to set the pace of um, the pancreatic enzyme release. We need appropriate uh, acidification of your stomach so the pancreas will start pumping out digestive enzymes right? If we're not doing that, we're not breaking down food appropriately. If we're not breaking down food appropriately, it's going to lead to problems further on down the GI tract. It can lead to constipation. Um, so all of this really, really matters. Stress is a very big one. I would say that uh, it's an absolute deal breaker for chronic constipation. And for those of... Um, to borrow a t term from one of my mentors, Jessica Flanagan, she calls people perfect performers. So when I have com people coming to me that are doing everything perfectly, right? They're eating all the right foods, they're taking all the right supplements, 
um, we have to investigate the stress piece. You know, what's going on with the HPA axis? This is where um, your hormone revival comes into play because you can get some testing done to really tell tell yourself, are you in a stress response and what can we do about that? And diving deep into all the things to um, look at your stress response, understand your stress response, how to understand how to turn it off. And doing that can really, really resolve a lot of chronic constipation issues. Um, another cause is hypochloridria. So that's not having enough stomach acid. We just talked about that a little bit. Sometimes stress is the driver. Um, long-term PPI use, so being put on a proton pump inhibitor or any other acid-blocking drug because you're having heartburn, right, or gas it, uh, um, acid reflux, that can certainly lead to low stomach acid. And then pancreatic insufficiency where you're not producing enough digestive enzymes can be the case. So sometimes supplementing with some digestive support like a digestive enzyme or high, um hydrochloric acid, it can be helpful to move the needle with constipation. Digestion is really a top-down process, and you have to start at the top. You have to get yourself, you have to start at the top. The brain needs to be in parasympathetic mode. You have to appropriately chew your food, spend plenty of time chewing your food. So for eating on the go, this is going to mess things up. The stomach has to be appropriately acidified. Our pancreas has to release digestive enzymes. Our small intestine has to be working appropriately, you know, no leaky gut. And then finally things get down into the large intestine where we have to have good, um, good, happy microbiome. All of that can impact whether or not you're moving your bowels. Um, bile issues, right? We've talked about bile. You guys know I love bile. I think it was episode 37. Don't quote me on that, but I think I talked a lot about bile in episode 37 or right around there. So you can go check out what bile does, why we need it. I also talked about it a little bit in the cholesterol episode. Um, but if we have sluggish bile, that can, that can certainly impact, um, constipation. An underactive thyroid. This is a big one. This is a huge one. If we do remember that thyroid hormones set the pace of everything. So of course they set the pace of your digestion. So constipation and sluggish bowels is a big, um, a big symptom of hypothyroidism. And again, we get that looked at in your hormone revival. So we can figure out: Do you really have? an underactive thyroid, right? Because sometimes it won't be caught in your physician's office because they're not looking at the right numbers, they're not looking at the right labs, they're not looking at the right lab values. So um, we gotta take a peek at that. Two other things that might surprise, surprise you, low serotonin and low melatonin. So serotonin is our is one of our neurotransmitters Right, so obviously important for brain health and for mood, but it also helps to set the pace of motility. Um, I think it's anywhere between 80 to 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut. So we need happy gut bugs for a healthy brain and healthy mood. Um, but then melatonin, 
is also a big key player here too. I had one of my ladies in your hormone revival ask me in the Facebook group, is there a correlation between sleep issues and constipation? And I was like, what an interesting question. I love questions like this. I love questions that get get me to think critically about mechanisms in the body and like link up things. Um, I mean, of course, right out of the gate, I was like chronic stress is going to impact sleep and it's also going to impact digestion, right? We just talked about how chronic stress impacts digestion. It impacts sleep because cortisol, one of our body's main stress hormones, has this very cool interplay with melatonin. When cortisol goes up, melatonin goes down. When cortisol goes down, melatonin goes up. So if you were in a lecture of mine right now, I would show you this really cool, pretty graph to um, to explain this, but you're just going to have to use your imagination. In the morning, cortisol spikes. So we get this big cortisol awakening response where cortisol goes up and cortisol is like our get up and go hormone. All right, let's do all the things. Get your ass out of bed. Let's do it, do it, do it. And then it slowly tapers off throughout the course of the day. So we should have this beautiful curve. And then as cortisol tapers off, melatonin starts to increase and we get melatonin increasing at night. We know melatonin is our sleep hormone, right? So you can think about it, cortisol is like the sun, melatonin is like the moon, and they're not usually out at the same time, right? Usually one is out. So if cortisol's high, it's going to impact our production of melatonin. So um, you can see on the Dutch test, the hormone test that we run in your hormone revival, when um, if cortisol, if cortisol's high or if cortisol is spiking at night, that can suppress melatonin. But that Dutch test also looks at your melatonin production. So we can start to assess patterns and say like, is this coming from, you know, is this a, is this a cortisol thing? Is this a stress response thing? Why aren't you sleeping well at night? Why is your melatonin production low? Um, but I wanted to dig in a little bit more. So I spent like way too much time on PubMed and to look at the, the connection between melatonin and the gut. So I want to dive into that with you guys today because I know you guys like me love to geek out on this stuff. And sometimes when I ramble on about certain subjects, a lot of people can like connect the dots for themselves. So I'm hoping that that is the case here. Um, I certainly have connected some dots for myself in this way. So hopefully I can pay, pay it forward and pass that kind of stuff on to you by just reporting some research. But so melatonin we know is our sleep hormone, right? And that's usually how we think about it. It's made in the pineal gland in the brain and it's secreted in a circadian pattern, right? The highest amounts are released during the nighttime in light dark. This is one of the reasons why it's so important to expose yourself to light during the day. And one of the reasons why it's so living indoors, like spending 90% of our time indoors does us a disservice from a health perspective because we're not getting access to the light that we need, the real natural light. And I don't have enough time to get into all of that on this show. We dive into this a lot in your hormone revival because our circadian rhythm is so important. It's one of the first things to, um, when you're looking to overall all your overhaul your health, it's one of the first things that you need to assess because if this cycle is thrown off, then it can other 
affect other cycles within our body, like our menstrual cycle, like ovulation, um, like the pace of our gut even. Um, so when our, so with that light and dark information that we're receiving into the eyes tells the pineal gland in the, the, the pineal gland in the brain to produce melatonin. And then it's released into the bloodstream and it acts as an endocrine hormone. It acts as, so endocrine is our whole hormone system. So it acts as a hormone and it controls biological functions within the body, especially our sleep wake cycle. Melatonin is also involved with our, the regulation of our food intake and digestion. So that's the connection that I was like, oh, this is really cool. Okay. Um, melatonin can act as a mediator between organs. So the gut and liver connection, melatonin plays a role in both of those things. And here's the real kicker is that melatonin, while it's made in the pineal gland in the brain, it can also be made outside of the brain. It can be made in the gut. So melatonin is synthesized by certain cells, enterochromaffin cells, throughout the gut. So our gut has the ability to make melatonin. And the gut contains over 400 times the melatonin than the pineal gland contains. Isn't that crazy? Um, Melatonin's um, levels in the gut are dependent on our food intake and on our digestion. So uh, the precursor to both melatonin and serotonin is tryptophan. That's why, you know, people say when you eat turkey at Thanksgiving, you get tired. It's because of that tryptophan release because it's a precursor to melatonin. It makes you sleepy. But in order to get that tryptophan precursor, we need to be able to break down our dietary proteins. Tryptophan is an amino acid. So we have to take our proteins and break it down into amino acids. So if we're low in hydrochloric acid, stomach acid, if we're low in enzymes, if we have digest digestive issues, this process can become interrupted. And if we're not breaking down our proteins, if we're not getting that precursor, we could be deficient in melatonin. We can be deficient in serotonin. Um... But the, the melatonin that we're making in the gut is independent of light or circadian rhythm. So there's, there's, there's two different things going on here. Um, one of the doctors that I was working with when we were looking over some people's Dutch test results together, um, when he said this, and this is just coming, I have not verified this, this is coming from a doctor um, who's sort of an expert in Dutch tests. He said when he sees melatonin production really high, so like off the charts high on the Dutch test, he starts to think like what is happening at the level of the gut? What's going on with the gut? We need to investigate what's going on with the gut. So that's just FYI. If you overproduce melatonin, that could be something to think about. Um, but the melatonin in the gut sets the pace of the GI tract. So it, it regulates not only motility, but also inflammation and pain. Um, so it could be something to think about in terms of supplementation if you have low motility, if you have sluggish bowels, if you tend toward constipation. Um, there's been some 
interesting studies done. So there's been animal studies that looked at melatonin and showed that it had um, excitatory and inhibitory effects on the gut depending on the dose. So small doses of melatonin accelerated transit time while high doses slowed down transit time. So this is good information. I mean, these are done on, um, on rat studies, so not human studies quite yet. Uh, but this could be good information for those, uh, those people who are experiencing diarrhea or constipation on the reg. I mean, you always want to get to the bottom of like what's going on, but if you've like sort of exhausted all other options, this could be something to try. And there's some interesting clinical studies that have looked at melatonin's effect on, um, on IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. So there's been, um, studies that shown or clinical trials, I'm sorry, not studies, clinical trials that looked at IBS and they gave three milligrams of melatonin, um, to patients with IBS. And then they gave them a placebo and in all different trials, it showed that those that were given the, um, three milligrams of melatonin orally, um, did better than the placebo. So it helped to alleviate uh, pain in the abdomen, um, sleep, anxiety, depression, all of those scores improved and just overall like life <laughs> just improved. They just felt better. Um, there has been some mice studies to look at the connection of melatonin and colitis, IBD irritable bowel disease, which is different than IBS. IBS is a syndrome. It's a collection of um, symptoms. IBD is autoimmunity of the gut. So it's a different ballgame. So there's no published studies, um, only case reports for IBD. But, but there's some promising stuff. And I just think that it's worth a shot. I mean, talk it over with your clinician. Talk it over with your own practitioner to determine if this is a right option for you and you might want to go based off of testing too but I don't know I think it could be could be a good idea um, for a therapeutic option for IBS management and potentially IBD so throwing all of that out there to you okay other causes of constipation dysbiosis. So having an imbalance of bacteria in your gut and overgrowth of the bad guys and undergrowth of the good guys that can throw things off. Any type of gut infection, so bacterial overgrowth, yeast overgrowth, having a parasite, all of those things can cause constipation. So doing something like a GI map stool test can be very, very helpful. And I'm going to talk about this on an upcoming show, but just getting the test isn't always good. I've had people reach out to me that just wanted the test. And I'm like, you need to have the test. And then you have to have somebody who's very equipped and experienced at analyzing the test. So I actually don't advocate for people um, just going on to a direct labs and getting a stool test or getting a Dutch test um, because it can increase a lot of anxiety in you. Like you get the test back and you're like, okay, cool. All of these things are wrong. Now what? You want somebody to help you walk you through that now what step. And I say that with so much love and respect because I just know what health, I call it health anxiety, hashtag health anxiety. I know what that feels like and I would never want 
somebody to listen to a podcast and be like, okay, I need all these tests. And then they get their hands on their tests and they have no idea what the next steps are. So make sure that you're, if you're going to get these tests, work with somebody who truly and deeply understands them. Don't have somebody just order you a test just to appease you, but then not be able to talk you through what the results mean and what you can do about the results. Um, okay. SIBO can also be a big reason, a big underlying cause for constipation, a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And that's especially true if you have a methane positive SIBO. The methane positive SIBO is more associated with constipation. Um, and that's true if you have methane producing bacteria in your large intestine as well, which is what the GI map stool test looks looks at. So stool test is looking at large intestine. Um, to test for SIBO, you want to get a breath test, and that's looking at what's going on in the small intestine. Um, and then issues with the vagus nerve. Um, the vagus nerve is very cool. It's one I, I believe it's the largest, yeah, the largest of the all the cranial nerves. Vagus is Latin for wandering. So it's this big nerve that branches off and basically intermingles with like all different parts of the body. So it wanders throughout the body and it wanders down to the GI tract. And the vagus nerve is like a highway linking your brain in your gut. So we have this brain-gut connection where the brain communicates with the gut and the gut communicates with the brain. And there's different ways that it can do this. There's different chemical messengers. There's different hormones, neurotransmitters, right? Melatonin, like we just talked about, is potentially one of them. But then we have this other connection, this, this literal connection, this physical connection that is the vagus nerve. And if there's any damage to the the vagus nerve, it can lead to motility issues. Um, it can lead to issues, movement of the GI tract, contraction of the GI tract, transit time of the GI tract's contents. Um, nerves or muscles within the GI tract can get damaged. They can lose function. They can stop coordinating. Some big reasons for vagus, vagal nerve issues is sympathetic, uh, being in a sympathetic sympathetic state. So chronic stress, the vagus nerve is like command control for parasympathetic for our rest and digest response. So we, we need to, we need to calm ourselves down if we want that, that proper, um, nerve sig signaling, right? But any type of trauma to the brain, traumatic brain injury, concussion, um, can set us up for vagal nerve issues. And this is why one of the reasons why constipation is one of the um, side effects of brain injury um, or of any neurodegenerative diseases as well. Okay. So that's a lot, a lot of things to investigate. Um, I didn't say it was going to be easy, right? But there's a lot of things. If you've got this chronic constipation piece, there's a lot of different drivers for chronic constipation. So start with the basic stuff, drink water, right? Move your body and then 
get into more of the nitty gritty. But a big, 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 big thing that you've got to do is engage parasympathetic nervous system. Engage that relaxation response. It's so important to do. So you want to do this before and during your eating, because if, if you're in a stress response while you're eating, your digestion is going to be totally off. Um, so some ways to do this is to eat dis- undistracted, right? Sitting down with your feet on the floor, not watching TV, not in front of a computer, not in front of your phone, not in front of a screen, sit down and relax. Um, another way is to take three to 10 deep belly breaths every time you eat right before you're eating. Take a deep inhale into the belly and then exhale, relax the belly and do that a few more times to shift into parasympathetic mode before you eat. Another way to do this is to chew your food. Ideally, we should be chewing every bite of food 20 to 30 times. Dramatic pause. Isn't that crazy? Most of us are like, what, four, five? I'm a fast eater. I wolf down my food. So this is something that I have to make a conscious effort to do. Slow the truck down. Chew your food. Um, So important for digestion. Another thing that I'll throw out there, and this isn't like, this is just anecdotal, but it's interesting. I know, so when I first started dating my husband, I was still a vegetarian at that point. I was eating lots of beans. I had gas all the time. Like I had GI dysfunction all the time um, because I I just wasn't addressing that, that piece of my health and I was eating a lot of foods that were causing GI upset. Um, anyway, but when I was first dating my husband, I was like nervous to eat because I didn't want to get gas. I didn't want to get st- uh, like a stomach upset when I was like with him, right? You like anyone listening is like probably nodding their head along. I mean, this is embarrassing stuff to talk about, but like you, you feel me, you feel me, right? I don't want to be like ripping ass in front of like my new boyfriend. Just, I don't want to do it. So what I've noticed is that if I had a little bit of wine with my meal, I wouldn't get digestive symptoms. And I think part of it is a little bit of fermented wine can be, um, a bit of a digestive aid, especially I drink red wine. So there's some bitter in that, right. That can stimulate bile flow. Um, but also I think it just helped to relax me and shift me into a relaxed state to eat my meals. So I'm not advocating for like, you know, pounding a bottle of wine with it, with every single meal, but just something to think about and just watch other ways to do that. Sipping a little bit of kombucha would do the same thing, right? Or taking some um, apple cider vinegar right before your meal could, could do some, could do, could have some similar benefits, right? So think about that. How can you relax your body? That's going to be really, really helpful. Movement, incorporating movement into your daily life, walking, you know, we talked about getting, you know, those 10,000 steps in, um, just to give our body the stimulus that it's requiring. And that's definitely easier said than done in modern day, but just making sure that we're moving our bodies. Yoga can be great just because you're moving your body in ways that you wouldn't, right? So we tend to be in a very 
similar position all day long, hunched over. So that's going to impact our digestive organs, right? That's going to impact the fascia through our stomach. So we need to like loosen things up there. Um, and yoga is helpful for doing that. Any type of pranayama, right? In breath work, we talked about breath work. Um, the breath work that Aaron Telford does can be really stimulating for the digestive tract. And it's, it's sort of like this dual action one, because you're pumping the, you know, you're using a pumping action of your body, of your abdomen to move the breath, but also you're relaxing your body, right? So it's like a twofer right there and that can help to stimulate the bowels. And then think about the actual position of your body while you poop. Get yourself a squatty potty. If you're if you've, you're constipated and you don't have a squatty potty, you've got to get on that. Um, squatty potty is a, it's like a stool that wraps around your toilet. Um, you can get them pretty expensively, inexpensively. They make plastic ones. They're like 25 bucks. They also make nicer wood ones for a little bit more money. Um, but it puts you, so you put your feet on it, you sit on the toilet and then you put your feet on it, you elevate your feet a little bit and it puts you in a natural squat position that improves the ability to eliminate. So it stimulates that squat position for faster and more effective elimination. This can be a true game changer. Um, so if you don't have that yet, consider getting one kiddos love it too. And it just becomes like a, a multi-purpose stool too. Like Hattie will drag it over from the toilet and use it to stand on to brush your teeth. So that is a, a pro tip from me to you. And then there's always going to be the question that comes up. There's like a legitimate squall outside my window right now that everything just got dark and there is snow whipping around. So we are officially heading into the throes of New England winter and I will be depressed for the next 17 months. Um, anyway, I know people are going to ask about laxative use, um, even natural laxative use like Senna, um, Metamucil, that's a big one that comes up. Miralax is a big one that comes up. So let's dive into that so we can help, um, determine is if that's an appropriate um, way to alleviate constipation. Now, Metamucil fiber, I try to get people off of this just because it has a ton of really nasty ingredients. It has artificial flavors, artificial sweeteners. It has colors, um, fillers, just bunk city. Um, so I do try to get people off of that one because the extra ingredients like all those yucky things that I just mentioned, they don't even have anything to do with constipation or gut health. They're truly just fillers. They're just there to like make it look like a cool orange color and give it like a, you know, orange flavor. You don't need that. The main effective ingredient is psyllium husk. That is what's doing the job. So if you if you use Metamucil or you use it in the past and it's been helpful for you, just swap it out for plain old psyllium husk. It's pretty cheap. You can get it at most health food stores. You can certainly grab it on Amazon, but use that instead. It is not going to taste as razzmatazzy as Metamucil, and it's not going to have any crazy colors. It um, is pretty tasteless. You just mix it with some water and drink it right down. You could even put it into a smoothie if you do smoothies every day. So make that, make that swap for yourself. Uh, help yourself out there. Okay, what about laxatives? Um, laxatives are bowel irritants. That is their mechanism, 
mechanism of action. So they go in and aggravate the colon. So this is obviously not something that you want to do regularly. Um, there has been studies that show that laxatives negatively affect the microbiome. So we don't want to, that's not something that we want to use. And also you could become dependent on them if you do, if you're regularly using laxatives and this applies to senna. So senna is the main ingredient in smooth move tea and there's also senna capsules you can buy and it's natural. It's an herb, right? So, um, it's not all bad. It's not like a chemical stimulant laxative, but the way that it works is similar. You know, it, it does, it does aggravate the colon. So I think once in a while using that smooth move tea is fine. I would rather people be moving their bowels than not moving their bowels. So if like once in a blue moon, you have to drink that tea to get yourself to go to the bathroom. I think that's fine. If you have to use it every week, or every day to go to the bathroom, that's a problem that needs further investigation. You should not be reliant on any type of laxative, any type of stimulant to have to move your bowels. That's a problem. So um, consider that, okay? So once in a blue moon, not a big deal. All the time, big deal. Now, Miralax is something that is promoted in virtually every single doctor's office. I when I went to, you guys know my whole story of like how I tried to get health answers and continued to be told everything was fine, everything was normal. Um, one of the times I went to my prim primary care doctor, I forget what I was talking about, but there was like some major GI issues going on. Turns out I had SIBO, but I had to like fight to like get that answer and basically like self-diagnose and self-treat. That was a good time. Um, but my, my, primary care doctor, this is, was her, um, suggestion for me was to take Miralax in Tums. And I was like, my body is like literally falling apart with an autoimmune disease. So like, I don't think that's going to cut it, but Miralax, I love it. Um, my daughter's phys physicians have told me to give that. She was constipated. Oh, I remember why when she was trying to, um, when she was learning how to go poop on the potty, it's so weird. Imagine just like crapping in your pants all the time. And then all of a sudden somebody being like, now you have to sit on this weird chair and you have to relearn how to use the muscles in your bowels to like defecate. So kids get a little bit like weirded out by this. Just a heads up in case you don't have kids and you're eventually going to have kids. I'm giving you some pro tips. Um, watch out for that. So I was talking to the, her pediatrician about it. And they were like, yeah, just, uh, give them some, some Miralax. I was like, there's no other option. I don't know. So Miralax is polyethylene glycol, also known as PEG 3350. And it's a polymer that's just too big to be absorbed by the intestine. So when you take it, it remains in the gut and it holds water. So it's, cons it's not a stimulant laxative. It works in a similar way that soluble fiber would work because it's like basically pulling, holding onto water and like moving that water through the stool. So it like bulks up the stool. Um, there has been studies on mice, so not in humans, but studies on mice that show that Miralax alters the gut. Um, so it 
upsets the layer of mucus, um, the mucosal layer, which is like basically our, our immune system in our gut. Um, it activated the immune system. Um, the cells of the intestine themselves changed shape during treatment. And then everything was restored two weeks after laxative removal after the Miralax was removed. So like while it's, while you're taking it, it's like doing things to the gut. Again, we, this, the studies still need to be done on humans. These were my studies, but I'm, I feel that they're relevant. Um, so that's just something to consider then. And you might've already heard this within the past few years, the FDA received a number of reports, um, of, parents concerned with giving their kids Miralax, having these adverse neuropsychiatric symptoms, like so giving their kids Miralax and then noticing the kiddos were experiencing tics, anxiety, rage, paranoia, phobias, mood swings, depression. Um, and I know that it's like culturally culturally it's like our thing not to believe women and not to listen to mothers <laughs> like you know we're like nah skip it um but for me hearing this that's enough for me to say like nah I'm all set I'm all set with the Miralax so I do think like once in a while if you have to do like a bowel cleanse Miralax probably isn't the worst thing in the world but I wouldn't use it as something that you take every day or something that you give to your kiddo every day. Again, we have to get to the bottom of, <laughs> no pun intended, we have to get to the bottom of why can't we move our bowels on our own? Like, why aren't we pooping, right? It's not a Miralax deficiency. It's not a polyethylene glycol deficiency. Okay, so... I'm going to give you some of my, um, some of the things that I use clinically that have been helpful for clients. So things that you can try out. I will say that not everything works for all the people and you do have to tinker around with different things that might work for you. Um, that's just the nature of the beast. Sometimes we have to use two things or three things. We have to play around with like the perfect combination um, of all the things, right? And usually, I'm not going to lie to you, usually involves some type of gut testing to see where the deficiency is, what's the problem. We have to address those things. So um, the, these are not cure-alls. They're just things that I've had clinical success with. And the very first one and where I start almost everybody is with magnesium citrate. There are other chelates of magnesium, other things that magnesium are bound to, but citrate, magnesium citrate seems to be the most successful for uh, constipation because it helps to pull water into the stool. So, so it, it, it works because magnesium is a muscle relax and it helps to calm the body down. So it works that way. It relaxes the bowel, but it also helps to soften and bulk up the stool, making it easier to pass. Um, natural calm is a magnesium citrate powder. That's pretty darn easy to find. Um, you can start with that. I am not going to recommend any dosing in this podcast because it's individual and this is something that I work with um, with my clients on. So these, this is not medical advice, remember. I'm not going to give you the clinical dosing. I'm just going to tell you some different products that I found success with. 
Um, high dose vitamin C can also have a gentle laxative effect or not so, so not so gentle if uh, you take way too much of it, but um, doing some, some ascorbic acid can be a way to stimulate the bowels as well. There are certain probiotics that have different effects. This is usually find, finding the, the right probiotic for you, but one that has been well, document, well documented is L. ruteri protectus. It has been shown to positively affect gut motility and promote regularity. I use that one a lot clinically in my practice. I love that one. Um, then there's some motility agents. So there's this term called a prokinetic and that these are things that speed up motility. So if you just have low motility, things move slowly through your GI tract and you've already checked out some other, um, some other underlying issues like, right, you've got your thyroid checked out, um, other ways to explain low motility. Um, there are prescription drug prokinetics, um, but there are also different types of herbal prokinetics. One good product is Iberogast, and it's a combination of different herbs, uh, bitters, uh, angelica, chamomile, caraway, St. Mary's thistle, lemon balm, peppermint, uh, licorice. It has a, it's a, a combination of herbs that help to stimulate um, bowel contraction. Modal Pro is another product. It contains ginger, that's the main ingredient, but it also has some neurotransmitter support. Trifala is an Ayurvedic herbal blend of three different Indian fruits that can uh, encourage elimination. So it's, um, it's taken in Ayurveda for um, cleansing, right? That's like, kind of like its claim to fame, but it can also act as a very gentle prokinetic, which is, which is pretty cool. Then we have the mucilaginous herbs can also be really um, effective here, depending on what's going on. So these are certain herbs that swell in water and create a gel-like substance. And if you have inflammation going on throughout the GI tract, um, this these herbs help to soothe and coat that inflammation. And that can sometimes be helpful for constipation. So certain herbs that fall in this category are marshmallow root, slippery elm, uh, licorice roots, aloe vera, comfrey, plantain, psyllium, and fenugreek. So all of those could be things to think about. There's a product by Designs for Health called GI Revive that has some of those herbs in it, um, as well as L-glutamine. That's a product that's catered toward leaky gut. I just want to throw out there, we're going to talk about leaky gut in some upcoming shows, but the key to quote unquote healing leaky gut is not to just throw L-glutamine at it. So I'm really hesitant to like give you this product as a recommendation. Um, it won't be like the thing to heal leaky gut, but it's very soothing for the GI tract and can help if you're working on other underlying causes of leaky gut. Um, this can also be effective at helping. Um, we talked about the prebiotic fibers already. Um, then we also have, there's certain ones that I, I prefer clinically, but it really depends on the person. I do like sun fiber. That seems to be uh, pretty helpful. And then we have short chain fatty acids. 
butyrate or butyric acid is um, a great one and it's not always helpful for constipation but it can be depending on what's going on um, it's a major energy source for the colon cells and it can help to enhance motility and increase transit time so uh, short chain fatty acids are can be can be helpful for some folks okay and those are some of the the products that I really like and then finally, 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 this is the last thing I'm going to say about this or about the subject, but consider the energetics. And I hate to go here, but I have to go here. Um, now, whether you loved or hated Louise Hay, you have to agree that she's kind of onto something here. So Louise Hay said that constipation is incomplete releasing, holding on to garbage of the past, guilt over the past. So you have to look at the energetics. I, I look at the energetics of everything that's happening physically within my body. Of course, of course, we have to look at the labs. Like what are the labs telling us, right? We have to look at like what's going on physically, but to ignore the energy piece, to ignore the emotion piece, we're, we're, we're missing the mark, right? I'm not here for anybody that's like saying this isn't valid. I'm just not here for it. The science backs it up. Emotions affect our physical body. Hard stop. So think about that in relation, especially if you're like this ongoing chronic constipation. I've tried everything. Try this. Think about what you are holding onto. What things need to be released in your life, in your body, right? Go back and listen to Aaron Telford talking about releasing emotion and trauma and baggage and garbage from our physical body, okay? So with that, I'm going to leave you guys. I am heading out to date night with my husband. It is, what is it? It is 4.30 p.m. So this is 35, uh, coming in hot. Um, all right, hope you guys enjoyed that. Hope it helped. And I'll see you again next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you.